Welcome to the 26 West Church Sunday Gathering Podcast. Our prayer is that this teaching helps you experience life in Jesus. Well, last week, Stephen, when he ended, he ended with a quote from Pete Gregg with this fantastic book I'd recommend you get. It's called How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People. And in that book, Pete Gregg says the best advice he ever heard on prayer is this. Keep it simple. Keep it real. Keep it up. Keep it simple. Keep it real. And keep it up. So we're going to start today real simple. Because one of the best advices I ever heard on prayer from a while ago is go listen to the kids pray or read children's books. So I brought this children's book we're going to start with today. It's called Anytime, Anyplace, Any Prayer. It's by Laura Whiffler. And just sit back and relax. It'll take about two minutes. I'm going to read this book because it is fantastic. And we're going to get started on prayer from this book. You guys ready for a story? Good. All right. Story time at 26 West. Many years ago, nearly as long ago as you can go, two people lived with God in a beautiful garden. They were Adam and Eve, and they were friends with God. They could talk with God about every thought they had, every question they wondered, every feeling they felt. They told him anything, anytime. But one day, the devil slithered into the garden as a snake. He spoke to Eve and suggested that God did not love her and Adam. Adam and Eve decided that the snake's words sounded better than God's words. So they chose not to trust and obey God anymore. This is called sin, and sin spoils beautiful things. Now, Adam and Eve were afraid of God. The next time God came to talk with them, they hid. But God found them. He told them that because of their sin, they would have to live outside the garden, separated from him. Now people couldn't be with God, but they could still talk with him. Talking with God is called prayer. But because of sin, prayer sometimes was hard. Sometimes people didn't know what to pray. Sometimes they didn't know what uh, they could pray to him. Sometimes they were just plain old scaredy pants. But God kept reminding his people that he wanted them to talk with him about everything, anytime, any place. So they prayed. And good news for us today that Jesus gives us a model prayer that we could pray anytime. And any place. And you find it in Matthew 6. So if you have your Bibles, you want to turn there. It's Matthew 6, starting in chapter, uh, ch- chapter 6, verse 9. Now what's, what happens as, as Jesus gives us this prayer, we realize that he's giving us our own special anytime, any place prayer. And you've probably heard of it at, called the Lord's Prayer because it's pretty famous. And many of you know it. Many of you have it memorized, but some of you don't. And we all have it that all of us that do have it memorized, it's all in different translations. So I'll deal with that in just a second. But before we jump into this model prayer, as you look it up in your Bible, a couple verses ahead, uh, before that, we're not going to talk about them. But I do need to highlight that Jesus does tell us two ways not to pray. How do we not pray? And it's just two things that he says. He says, don't pray for show. Don't pray for show like the hypocrites. So when you pray, you don't have to have this flowery language and make it sound all high and mighty and eloquent. Jesus says, don't do that. And he says, don't babble on like the pagans. Don't babble on and just say words and words and words and words that don't mean anything. Don't do that. But then Jesus spends most of his time on how do we pray? Because the disciples had asked him, 
how do we pray, Jesus? And he says this. Jesus says this. This is how you should pray. I wanted, what I want to do now is everybody stand up, and we're going to recite this together. Uh, sorry about having to put your coffee down and get everything all sorted out, but uh, this is a sacred prayer. In fact, it's a little weird to think about, but right now today, around the world, millions of people are praying this prayer. In fact, maybe a billion, who knows, a lot of people are praying this prayer. And because of the different translations you have it memorized in, let's read it off the screen. Because even I'm trying to memorize this version, but every once in a while I throw in a thy there every once in a while. <laughs> so, okay, let's do it. On three, one, two, three. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. All right, you can have a seat. Good job, by the way. You guys had a good rhythm. It's fantastic. This prayer is short and it's simple. In fact, in the original Greek, it's only 57 words. 57 words, really super short. And if you read it even slower than we did, you still wouldn't get the 30 seconds. And I got to believe that when the disciples said, Jesus, teach us how to pray, and he gives them a prayer that's less than 30 seconds, they were waiting for more. <laughs> Like, that's all you got, Jesus? That's it? Just 30 seconds? It's super simple, but at the same time, it's really, really profound. And as Stephen hinted at, this prayer began plaguing me years ago. Because I have all sorts of questions. Yes, it's simple on the surface, but there's some questions in here. Where is heaven? What is God's will? Is the daily bread more than just food? And particularly, what's really plagued me is this bit about lead us not into temptation. Because we read in other parts of the Bible that God won't tempt us. So if God won't tempt us, why is Jesus teaching us lead us not into temptation? Well, I promise you we'll get to that by the end and not too, too long. But to begin our study of this prayer, I want to start with a quote from about 200 years ago. A guy named Henry Ward Beecher, and he said this. I used to think... Lord's Prayer was a short prayer, as I live longer and see more of life, I begin to believe that there is no such thing as getting through it. And that's been my experience. Because it might shock you, but I'm not in my 20s. And I've been praying this prayer since I was a little tyke. And the church I went to was liturgical, we had to memorize it. I was praying this prayer for 10 years before I was saved. And I've prayed it a lot of my days the rest of my life, and it just never wears out. It never gets old. It's kind of like the, the person who carries around a Swiss Army knife or a Leatherman, that tool that's always on him. You always have it. It's an anytime, anyplace prayer because you could always pull it out and recite it because it's so short. So sometimes when I wake up in the middle of the night, I can't pray, I recite the Lord's Prayer. When I have absolutely no idea what to pray, which is a lot, I pray the Lord's Prayer. When I'm having a bad day, I pray the Lord's Prayer. When I'm having a good day, I pray the Lord's Prayer. It's always with us and it never wears out. So let's start at the beginning of the prayer. And one thing I want you to notice right out of the beginning, the way to understand this prayer is to pay attention to the pronouns, to pay attention to the pronouns. So it starts out with our Father, our Father. Now Jesus is saying this. Why doesn't he say my Father? He says our Father. Our is we, we the church, we the disciples of Jesus Christ. If you're here today, and you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, here's the crazy thing. 
you have the same dad as Jesus. We have the same father as Jesus. See, as a, as a human being, we have two dads. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you have two dads. You have your earthly biological father who may be good, may not be good. But you also have a heavenly father who's all good. He's fantastic. Commentary art, commentator R.T. France says this. The implication of privileged access to God is clear. It's clear that we have this privileged access to God. See, as Jesus followers, we have God's ears. We have God's ears. He wants to hear from us. He wants us to come talk to him. Just like as good parents want to hear from their kids. So what that means is that little voice inside your head that says, you're not good at prayer. That's not from God. That voice that says, you don't know how to do this. You're not good at prayer. Your prayers aren't like the people who are good at prayer. That's Satan. That's the devil trying to get you and me to stop praying. Because the devil wants to limit our prayers as much as he can. But God wants to hear from us as much as he can anytime, any place. Tyler Staten, a pastor down in Bridgetown now, he wrote a book called Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. And he explains that the big question in the first century was not, does God exist? The question was, is God knowable? And that's our question today. Is God knowable? And the answer is a resounding yes. We can know God. We can have a relationship with God. And big, a big part of that relation is praying, talking with God, and being with him. So yes, he is very knowable. And, God, and Tyler goes on to say this. When we pray our Father... We're really asking him to remind us again today that we are loved. When we say our father, we should think God loves us and wants to hear from us. Now, I, I have to tell you, most of my life, unfortunately, I viewed prayer primarily as a task, as a chore, as an obligation, as a discipline. And that's partly true because there is a discipline to chair. Uh, to prayer. There is a labor to prayer. But I think the primary thing that prayer should be is enjoying his presence. Our father, daddy, baba. God wants to hear from us. He just wants us to spend time with him, which is mind-blowing to think that the creator of the universe wants to spend time with me and you. But he does. Prayer is about being in his presence. We could think of the when we think of the full abundant life that Jesus promised, remember he says, I came that you, you might have life and have it to the full or have it to abundantly. If I asked you to list down, what are the things that make your life full and abundant? Would prayer be on the list? For many, many years of my life, prayer wouldn't be on that list, but it's now on the list because I enjoy my time so much. With God, my friend Todd Newell, we were talking about this Thursday over coffee, and his earthly dad was a very good dad. And he told me that he used to love his Friday afternoon conversations. Because every day, every Friday he drove home from work, he would call his dad. And they would just talk over everything. And he enjoyed that. That's the relationship that God the Father wants with us. And Jesus goes on to say, our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Why, why does God point out where God is? And what do you and I think about when we think of heaven? Or better, not what do we think about, but where do we think about? 
And unfortunately, in the Western culture, many of us have this subconscious view of someplace way out there, far away. Because after all, Jesus went away, so heaven must be away. It's far away, right? No. Heaven is here. Heaven is close. All through Matthew's gospel, Jesus teaches over and over again that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus brings the kingdom of heaven to us. It's very, very near. We don't necessarily go to the kingdom. The kingdom has come is the way Jesus says it. It's come. It's here. It's near. When he ascended to the Father, he sent us the Spirit. And where does the Spirit reside? In us. It doesn't get much more near than that, does it? So right now, is heaven in this room? Yes. And I know that might be a mind blow to you, but heaven is not this distant place and it's a place we have to, to deal with in this kind of crazy thing. Heaven's here. So the, our Father in heaven is this amazingly openly, open line in Jesus' model prayer. Pastor John Tyson, who is also an author, says this. Our Father in heaven orients our discipleship. It orients our discipleship. He goes on to say this. The Lord's prayer is reorienting our broken desires. It is dethroning what is wrong with this world and reorienting our hearts to be the kind of people that make the world the place God wants it to be. Now, some of you who are astute watchers of the clock have gone, we're in this about 15 minutes, and he's only gone through four words. So how long is this message going to be? So obviously, I'm going to have to speed up a little bit right here. But as we speed up, we have to remember this all-important introduction, our Father in heaven. We have to remember that the Father loves us. He gives us this special access to him through prayer, which is simply talking with God. And our prayers reorient our desires into God's desires. Is that good? Does that make sense? You guys following that? Good. So now we're going to speed up a little bit. And again, we're going to look at the pronouns. So we're going to look at the, the first half of the prayer. And you'll notice three yours. Three yours. So the prayer starts, our Father in heaven. Then you'll see this up on the slide. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the first half of Jesus' model prayer that follows this opening line has these three your statements, and they're all connected to on earth as it is in heaven. So these are called petitions by the scholars. There's three here, and there's going to be three more for a total of six petitions. So that'll help you memorize it and meditate on it. But the hallowed be your name is connected to on earth as it is in heaven. So what Jesus is saying is, Father, hallowed be your name on earth as it is in heaven. Now, this word hallowed is a little bit strange to us. You know, we just don't use it very much. Some of the more modern translations say holy, and that's fine. Holy, set apart. Uh, uh, that's just fine to think of it that way, but hallowed is kind of a, a, a unique word. And in the first century, your name was more important than it is in our culture. Your name in the first century spoke to your character. So we're saying, God, holy be your name, or specifically, may we as disciples of Jesus keep your name holy. And that's more than not swearing. 
or not cussing. It's in every way keep the character of God holy because we all know that's not happening in our culture. So that's up to the disciples of Jesus to attempt to bring some holiness to God's name. We're acknowledging the Father's holiness and it focuses our heart on him and his character. That's a good way to start our conversation with God. We revere God because he's God. It's simple. This prayer is simple and profound. It's just like the gospel as a whole. Simple, a kid could understand it, and profound, all of us are still learning years and years later. later. Daryl Johnson summarizes up this first petition by saying that. Father, for saying this, Father, be all you are on earth that you are in heaven. Because God is a way in heaven, and we want him to be that way on earth. And then secondly, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And first, we have to check our idea of what kingdom means. Because all of us have a different view of kingdom. Probably depending on if you watched a Netflix show about a kingdom or king. Who's the king now? Uh, Charles, King Charles, yeah. Um, you can tell I'm really into the king thing in England, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but our king is King Jesus. King Jesus. And he rules by rescuing and redeeming people. That's the kingdom of Jesus. And this is the kingdom we're asking God for to come. Now, it's partly here, but it's not fully here. And Jose's talked about that a bunch. But I need to warn you, this is beginning to get into the dangerous part of the prayer. Because when we pray, your kingdom come, that means that's the end of my kingdom. That's the end of my rule, and it's the end of your rule. It's an interesting thing that we're not praying for kingdom self. We're not praying for a political kingdom. Don't worry, I'm not going to go all politics on you. But just a reminder that the kingdom of God is not the kingdom of America. And the kingdom of America is not the kingdom of God. We're not praying for a political kingdom. We're not praying for a kingdom of comfort either. Although you would think so sometimes, right? Are we fully, totally, 100% surrendering our kingdom to the kingdom of God? To die to self and follow King Jesus. Jesus said it pretty, pretty powerfully, right? To be my disciple, you must die and pick up your cross and follow me. And then third, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done. And I don't know about you, but man, this will of God thing, talk about a lot of books, a lot of ink, a lot of theories, a lot of conversations, a lot of, a lot of arguments. And we're not going to get into any of that. Somebody say, hallelujah. <laughs> It could, be a pra it could be a really tricky subject, and I've studied it, and it is interesting, but it's tricky. So for our purposes today, I would just kind of summarize a lot of the stuff I know about the will of God, and this is the way I would it, summarize it. I'm not a scholar. This is just me. This is what I wrote down. The will of God is that we are humble, not prideful, generous, not greedy, compassionate, not hard-hearted, grateful, not entitled. Now, that's not as deep and tricky as all the stuff you could read. But for me, and maybe for you, I have plenty of work to do being humble, generous, compassionate, and grateful. That will take the rest of my life 
to get better at those things. And that is the will of God. And that's what the will of God is in heaven. So we want it to be here on earth. R.T. France, the commentator on Matthew I told you about, he says this. Doing the will of God is a potent summary of disciples' lives. Even Jesus himself had to submit to his own father to do do the will of God. And we see that in the Garden of Gethsemane. See, in in this world we live in today, we get preached at by the world. And it says, you do you. And then Jesus comes along and says, Father, your will be done. So Jesus is, in a sense, instead of saying, you do you, he's saying, you do God. That's a whole lot better way to live. Now, at this, at this point in the prayer, Jesus transitions from these three your pronouns to three us pronouns for the total of the six petitions. Here's the structure of the last half of the prayer, and you'll see it on the slide. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So give us today our daily bread. Over the years, I've wondered a lot about what does that include and not include? Is it just about food? Now, to the first century disciples, it could very well have been targeted to food. I learned just this last month studying that a lot of laborers in the first century, they got paid daily. So it wasn't like every two weeks you get a paycheck. Literally every day they got their money and they went to market and got food and they did it again the next day. Uh, I recently got this book that I'm going to recommend to you. It's absolutely, I think, the best book on the Lord's Prayer I've ever written, uh, read. It's called, Dar- it's called 57 Words That Changed the World by Daryl Johnson. 57 Words That Changed the World. And good news, it's 130 pages. It's not super long. Uh, it's a really easy read and it's fantastic. And in that book, Daryl Johnson outlines the layers of what daily bread means. Yes, it's physical bread. Food for our bodies. After all, God created our bodies, and he created them in a way that we need food. So, yes, when we, play, when we pray, Lord, give us today our daily bread, we're saying, Lord, give us the things we need to survive. Provide for us, God. And, yes, it's everything else necessary for functioning in this world and living the kingdom life. It, it's, if, if you need bread, you probably need a job to get the bread, right? So it's, it includes that. And yes, it includes the power of the Holy Spirit. Do we need the power of the Holy Spirit? Yes. He's part of our daily bread. And the most amazing thing is this prayer for daily bread includes Jesus himself. Well, well how do we know that? Because one of the I am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John, he says, I am the bread of life. Is that a coincidence? Is he just using a similar metaphor? No, we need Jesus. We're saying, Jesus, give us today you. Jesus, we need you today. We need Jesus daily. He's part of our daily bread. Daryl Johnson says, give us today our daily bread calls for a radical dependency on the Father. Because we're praying this to the Father And one of the things that we tend to think about when we think about daily bread, we think about all the stuff that we need. But what Daryl Johnson does in his book so beautifully, he changes it to the attitude about the stuff we need. Because we live in a world that preaches independence. And this prayer says, nope, dependence 
dependence. Give us today our daily bread. It calls for a radical dependency on the Father. Tyler Staten in his book says this, daily bread prayers are a daily reminder that we are not in charge, not in control. God weans us off our addiction to independence. And I read that and I went, whoa. Am I addicted to independence? Am I just going through the motions kind of pretending to be dependent on God? Or am I actually have this little addiction problem with independence? And I'm working on that. The world says this, believe in self. And I don't know about you guys, but, you know, sports has kind of overtaken our culture. And I like sports, but it goes a little too far. And the, the commercials that drive me nuts are like, you can do anything. You just need to believe. If you believe in yourself enough, you can do it. Hogwash. Absolute hogwash. God's saying in this prayer, you need me. And in our culture, to be needy is a negative thing. But in the kingdom of God, to be needy is the way we're to live. We live in need of Jesus Christ. And forgive us our debts as we have as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, I know some of you have this memorized using sins or trespasses. That's fine. Totally cool. The thing about this portion of the prayer that's super important, super unique, is after the prayer, this is the only part of the prayer that Jesus expands upon in verses 14 and 15. And I'm, they're not on the slide. I'm just going to read it to you. Verse 14, I like. Verse 15, not so much. Verse 14, for if you forgive other people... When they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Then verse 15, tough one. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And if you just sit in that for a moment, Jesus is saying, if you and I don't forgive others of their sins, he's not going to forgive our sins. And for some of you, you're, you're squirming a little bit just like I am because you go, is, is this a new condition for salvation? I thought it was by faith, by the grace of God. Yes, but how do we know we have faith? This is very, very similar to the, to the, uh, the dilemma in James. Faith without works is dead. And faith without forgiving others is a problem. That's why Jesus talks about that. And it's evidently really, really important because it's the only part of the Lord's prayer he expands upon. And oh, by the way, in Matthew 18, the whole second half of Matthew 18 is this long parable. I would encourage you in your community groups to read it together and go through it. But the short version of that parable is a king, who obviously represents the kingdom of God. The king forgives this servant a ton of money, like a huge amount of money. And then the servant goes off and doesn't forgive his fellow servant a little about a month, a little money. And what God has to say about that person is, uh, it's not going to go well for that person unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So that parable is about our heart attitude. It's about our heart of repentance. The point is that forgiving others is a huge deal to Jesus and the kingdom of God. Are we truly willing to forgive others? Because God, God's, God requires it of us. I had a coworker once that 
you know, when you read the Psalms and it talks about the enemies and you go, how are we supposed to think about enemies today? Because, you know, we don't have the Philistines coming after us, right? Well, I had a coworker that was my enemy. He sabotaged my career. He lied about me behind my back. He did everything he could do to destroy me for his advancement. And I didn't like the guy. I mean, obviously, he was just a horrible person to be around. And he was always backstabbing with this. And eventually, our paths diverged in, the, in, in our careers, which is a good thing. But that unforgiveness was in my head, and it kept stirring up. And I, through this prayer and some other things, I finally felt convicted to go, go to this person and, and tell him I forgive him. Now, mind you, he wasn't asking for my forgiveness. But he knew. He knew what he was doing wrong. And by the way, he's a Christian. So I asked him for coffee. It was very, very awkward. And I said, look, I know you did this, 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 and this. And he wasn't shocked because he knew that I knew. He didn't care. But I said, but I truly have finally gotten to the place where I can forgive you. And I hope you have a good rest of your career. And that was it. So was it a happy ending of the story with a relationship? No. Did I do what was required of me by God? Yes. Was my bitterness removed? Yes. That's what God wants. John Stott says this, God forgives only the penitent, penitent, and one of the chief evidences of true penitence is a forgiving spirit. We need to have a forgiving spirit. And church, we should be a people who forgive quickly, very, very quickly. R.T. France says this, a community of the forgiven must be a forgiving community. I'm going to say that again. A community of the forgiven must be a forgiving community. But it's hard, isn't it? Because they're the, your enemy. This coworker of mine, I didn't like the guy. In fact, I pretty much hated him. But I'm called to forgive him. And he was a brother in Christ, at least he claimed to be. I don't know that's up to God. Okay, last one. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I promised you you would make it here. And this is what I'm so excited to share with you. Because this phrase has really, really made me stumble over the year. What is going on here? The Bible clearly teaches no debate that God will not tempt us. James 1 verse 13 is the best reference. God never tempts us to do wrong, to do evil. He just doesn't. Well, when I got that book I told you about, 57 words to change the world. When I got it, it's only 130 pages, but this is how much I was into this. I skipped to the chapter of the bonus. <laughs> and I read that and went, oh yes, finally, a good explanation. Because I've, I've gotten bad explanations. I think they're bad explanations over the years. Because one of the things a lot of people will say is, well, in the Greek, the word translated temptation could also mean testing. So what Jesus is really saying is pray to lead us not into testing. But there's a problem with that. Because the Lord regularly leads us into testing for our own good. Think of Abraham in Genesis chapter 2. God tested him. He tested his faith when he asked him to sacrifice uh, Isaac. Think about James chapter 1. It says your testing is so that your faith will grow and that you, you will have more perseverance. God's testing is a good thing. God's testing is a good thing, but temptation is not a good thing. So, so what does it mean? What, what does this phrase mean? Well, 
in his book, Daryl Johnson says the key to interpreting that phrase is you've got to look into the second half because of the word but. And by the way, don't get confused when I said pay attention to the pronouns, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I know there's two us's in that one petition, uh, but it's still just one petition because it's connected by this word but. So we can't understand the first half until we understand the second half. So this is the summary. This is the aha moment that I found from reading this book. The evil one tries to turn God's good tests into evil temptations. The evil one tries to turn God's good tests into evil temptations. And one of the reasons why I'm so convinced that this is right is because one of the best principles of Scripture interpretation is to interpret Scripture with Scripture. And Johnson goes on to say, we have two fantastic examples of this in the Bible. First one is Genesis 3. The second one is Matthew 4. In Genesis 3, which we read in this book, Adam and Eve were tested. God said, don't eat from this tree. Don't eat from this tree. That's a test. And then Satan comes along and turns the test into a temptation. And then in Matthew 4, when Jesus was in the wilderness, you might go, oh, that one's not going to work. Oh, yes, it does, because he went into the world. He was definitely tested. That was a test. But the, the verse says this, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, not by God. Jesus was tempted by the devil, tested by God. Daryl Johnson interprets this verse this way. He says, Father in heaven, as you lead us to the test, do not let the test become a temptation. That's what we're praying. But rescue us from the one who seeks to destroy our faith. And to encourage you, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, when I was a first a believer, the, the guy who discipled me had me memorize this verse, and it says, God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. So God tests us for our own good. God does not tempt us, but he will let the devil tempt us, but not beyond what we can bear or what we can handle. That's what God does for us. So that's what this prayer is about. God, don't let these tests turn into temptations of the devil. Protect us from that. Okay, so that was a lot. What do we do about this? How do we use the Lord's Prayer in today's life, this, this century instead of the first century? I think the most important thing to do is approach prayer as a gift. It is a discipline. It is a task. But I think that's secondary to the primary thing that Jesus is giving us. Think about the creator of the universe teaches us how to pray. And what he's doing is he's teaching us how to sit with him, how to be with him, to, to enjoy the presence of the Father in our lives. See, if we look at prayer as something we have to do in something, instead of it's something we get to do, we, we're, gonna, we're just going to get all stumbled up. Where if we look forward to prayer, that's a good thing. I'm not a fisherman, but one of the greatest mysteries in life is my friends who fish. And they say they could have a great day fishing without catching anything. I don't get that. To me, fishing is about eating the fish. And the catch and release thing, forget that. Rory, I don't know where you're at, but <laughs> so... 
if you could enjoy a day fishing without catching any fish, what are you doing? You're enjoying the experience, the presence of your friends. We could pray with God and enjoy our time together. Try this this week. Sit down, pray with God, and don't ask for anything. Now, it's okay to ask for things. Do that a lot. It's the second half of the Lord's Prayer. But it's the first half of the Lord's Prayer that we're not good at. Spend some time just being with God in His presence, enjoying His presence, and don't ask for anything. So there's a couple techniques here you could use to help you with the Lord's Prayer. One is to memorize it and recite it often. The early church recited the Lord's Prayer three times a day. Now there is a danger in that, right? And when I was a little kid, we recited it all the time. I didn't have any idea what I was saying. It could just become legalistic, road, blah, 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 blah. So you need to pay attention to what you're saying. But recite it often. Or you could use prayer, the Lord's Prayer as a model where you say, our Father in heaven, and then stop and pray all the other parts of the scriptures, which there's many that have to do with that topic. And just expand on this little short prayer that God gave us. Or some people go all the way and say, I'm going to split the Lord's Prayer into seven days. Day one is our Father in heaven. And then the six petitions are days two through seven. So you do our Father who's in heaven first day, pray through that and meditate on that. And then uh, hallowed be your name is day two. Your kingdom come is day three and so on and so forth. And you get the point. Or you could use the Lord's Prayer in conjunction with an app. My beautiful bride, Vicki, who's here today. Yeah. And uh, uh, it's great, great to have you here, baby. Um, it is to use an app. And we, we're using this thing called Lectio 365. Lectio is L-E-C-T-I-O 365, obvious. And it's a uh, hexagon. That's a six-sided thing with an arrow through it if you're looking for the app. And it's just a recorded prayer, 10 minutes in the day, in the, 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes in the evening. And here's the thing about that app. We look forward to it. We really look forward to it. It's fun. It's just, if you listen to it, there's all different voices and it changes all the time. So, so give it some time. So parting thoughts before I read the end of the story, because you probably want to know how this story ends. I think the Lord's Prayer is a precious gift. And I think act, Jesus actually taught us to pray this way because he just wants us to be with him. Just be with him. Be with the Father. His model prayer is both simple and profound. Okay, let me read the end of the story. And then we'll continue with worship. God says that anyone who loves and trusts Jesus as their friend and king can talk to him like this. You can pray about anything. You can tell God every thought you have, every question you wonder, every feeling you have. You can pray. When you feel your love so for, love for God so much, you think your heart might burst. When you want something so badly, it's all you can think about. When you sin and need forgiveness. When you need help to do the right thing. You can pray for a friend who is sick after a dream you had to say thank you for food about the adventures you want to go on, about what to do with your ninja movies. Most of all, you could pray for God's help to love the things he loves and obey the things he says. And if you're really sad or things are really bad all, and all you feel like you can do is groan, the spirit will know exactly what you need and he'll pray for you. You could pray anytime, any place, in the car, in the morning, at the playground, in the nighttime, in your bedroom, in your bathroom, by yourself, with your family, 
with a friend. Someday Jesus will return and his friends will live with God in this perfect, beautiful world forever. We'll talk with God face to face, just like in the garden. Until then, we could talk with God anytime, any place, any prayer. Let's stand and we'll pray together. Let's close your eyes and listen to the Lord's Prayer one last time. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in, into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Thank you for listening to this episode of our Sunday Gathering podcast. To learn more about 26 West Church, please visit our website at 26westchurch.org.